The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. It's good to see you online. I know that John is watching wherever he is online today. And um, we are so thankful that you're here this morning. I'm Joe. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to share with you from the fifth chapter of First Peter. As you know, we've been going through this letter, um, and we're going to continue with that this morning and close out this first letter this morning. But before we go there, I would like to pray. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for each one that's here this morning. What a blessing it is to be able to gather together in your name. And as we go to your word this morning, I just pray that you would speak through me, that your spirit would guide my thoughts and the thoughts of each one in this room, that you would find our hearts open unto your teaching. And that this letter that Peter has written to these churches Father, that we would see the need to understand it so that we might apply the message to our hearts also. And so, be with us here this morning. We pray that your spirit would work among us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to do a little bit of review. We've gone through four weeks already, beginning with John uh, sharing messages on the first three chapters and Zane last week on the fourth chapter. And these are the things that we've been talking about. For the past, past few weeks, we've been reading the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the churches in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this is the area that today we would know as Turkey in that area. He's writing from what he referred to as Babylon. And we discussed that we don't really know for sure where that is, but could possibly have been Rome because the Jews and the Christians were exiles in a foreign land, just as the ancient Jews were in Babylon. We've talked about how Peter points out that even though the church is God's chosen people, there will be trials. And those trials should make us stronger. They are testing our faith to see if it is genuine. We've asked the questions, who are you? Whose are you? And what's your purpose? And we discovered that we are like newborn babies. We're living stones, royal priests, and a holy nation. We belong to God, his chosen people, and slaves to God. Our purpose is to live honorable lives that lead others to the goodness of God. We should demonstrate unity with humility, providing proof of what Jesus has done for us. We learn that Jesus suffered and died and rose again, and that even though we may suffer for doing good, we will be rewarded for it, and it will lead people to Jesus. Advice for honorable living was given to wives and husbands and slaves and Christians in general. Last week, Zane talked about how Peter challenged the church to get a new attitude. I needed to hear that. <laughs> how about you? Oftentimes, we need to be reminded to get a new attitude every day. That's right. Today, Peter shifts his attention to the elders of the church. 
When you read through the book of history of the church, the book of Acts, you will see that when a new church was started in an area, there were elders appointed to shepherd that flock. And then the Apostle Paul in his letter to Titus gave these instructions. He said, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. We here at Westway follow this same pattern. I'm so thankful for the eldership that God has chosen for us here at Westway Christian Church. They are spirit-led. They are leaders in their homes, in the church family, and in their respective communities where they live and serve. They volunteered sacrificially hundreds of hours of their time to meeting and teaching and serving in many different capacities here at Westway. I love meeting over here in this room. Well, for a while we were meeting there, now we're meeting in the staff room. But I love meeting with those men and the other pastors to pray and to talk about the scripture that's going to be spoken about that next week and how it can best be taught so that we all can be enriched and encouraged to grow in unity, purpose, and love, and wisdom, and their humility and hunger to learn and grow together is impressive to me. They're not perfect, but they are perfect for the position God has called them to. I want to read that again. I want to say that again. When I, when I put that down on the paper, I thought, boy, that's, that really is true. They're not perfect. But they're perfect for the position that God has called them to. None of us are perfect. And there are some of you that are out here in this audience that may wonder, is that something that I could do someday, be an elder of a church? And the answer is yes. You're not perfect. But with God's help, we can be perfect for the position that he calls us to. They feel the tremendous weight and responsibility of the task. Yet, they serve willingly. I'm so thankful they have accepted that call. So, as we continue on in the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 5, let's see what he has to say to the elders here. Beginning with verse 1, it says, And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too, Peter says, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a felder elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. It's important to remember here that Peter had traveled with Jesus. 
He'd walked down the road with them. He'd slept in the same camp area. He'd listened to Jesus as he traveled. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy watching the Chosen series because it helps me to understand just a little bit deeper what it must have been like to walk with him and to talk with him and to be disciplined (laughs) by his words. It's possible that Peter remembered these lessons that Jesus taught when he went to lead the, in the, uh, to the lead Pharisee's house for a meal on the Sabbath day. Luke shares this in his gospel. And so I want to turn to Luke chapter 14. So as they're traveling, they would stay at different people's houses. And on this particular journey... They were invited to go to one of the Pharisees' houses. Beginning in verse 14, I want to read that first verse. It says, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. Why do you suppose they were watching him? Well, some of them wanted to listen, wanted to hear what he had to say. Some of them wanted to catch him. In what he had to say. Which is interesting. And we skip down to verse 7. It says when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner. Were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table. He gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast. Don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think about the disciples as they're watching and listening to what Jesus said, and they're watching what would be for the church, the leaders of the church, rushing to get that most important spot. And I think Peter's taking note As Jesus explains to them, that's not the best plan. In fact, that's not a very good example to follow. Are we always struggling to get the best? Do we try to step in front of someone before they go through the door? Do we step back and hold it up but open? Do we rush to the store to grab the new game or whatever it is that has just come out so that I can have it? knowing that others might be wanting to go to get that same thing. Maybe it's wanting that position of leadership that draws attention to us in our workplace. As I think about what Jesus was teaching to the disciples in this setting, I think about the advice that he gave them was to take the lower spot And then when the host comes in, he 
is the one that says, move up to this spot. And when that happens, then God is given glory. And you receive the glory that you deserve. That's advice for the leaders. That's the example that Peter's talking about when he talks about care for the flock, not for what you will get out of it because you are eager to serve God. See the difference? We're not supposed to be doing things to get something from it. We're supposed to be doing it so that we can give something to others. And it's interesting to me that on this Sabbath day, when Jesus was teaching, he was teaching the leaders of the church as well as those others in the house. Peter says back in verse 3, he says, Don't lord it over the people out assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. I've been privileged to watch as leaders in the churches that I've attended have set that example as well as here at Westway. What a blessing it is to see the servant heart. What a blessing it is to see even though they deserve so much more, they humbly do whatever is needed when they see it. And then he says, Peter says, when the great shepherd, when Jesus returns, he will, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. See, the, the, the accolades that we receive here really don't mean anything. What matters is when Christ returns. That's what makes the difference. I think it's also important to mention here that Peter understood what it was like to care for the flock. The Greek word used for care for the flock is the same word used in John chapter 21 verse 16 where Jesus said to Peter for the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Do you remember the story? They're on the beach. They'd gone fishing and Jesus had come to meet them. And while they were out in the boat, Jesus is preparing a meal. And Peter comes in and they're sitting there around the campfire. And Peter still in his mind remembers when he has portrayed, uh, betrayed Christ the three times. How he told Jesus, I'll never forsake you. And when they asked if he was with him, he said, not I, three times. Now Jesus on the beach asked Peter a question. Simon, do you love me? Three times he asked him. There's probably significance in that. And in the second time, he said, take care of my sheep. It's the same kind of take care of my sheep that Peter says that the elders should do. And so he repeats those instructions for the leaders of the church. And then he goes on in verse 5 in 1 Peter. 
He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now he's talking to all of us. He's talking to all the believers in those churches. Slaves, servants, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, elders, deacons. And he tells them to dress themselves in humility. The New New International Version and the New American Standard Version use the word clothe there. To clothe themselves in humility. The Greek word here means knot or band by which two things are fastened together to fasten or gird oneself. So you see, this was the white scarf or apron of slaves, which was fastened to the belt of the vest, and it is distinguished, and it distinguished slaves from free men. So in 1 Peter 5, 5, gird, dress, clothe yourselves with humility is dressing like a servant. And it means by putting on humility, show you are in subjection one to another. Jesus modeled this also. If you remember when they were in the room for the Last Supper, Jesus took his outer garment off and he took a towel and he girded it around him. The same word is used there. And he put the towel around him and he grabbed the basin and he, and he took that basin and he went from individual to individual to individual doing what? Washing their feet. This is not the job of the important rabbi, the important teacher. This is not the job of the, 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 the person that owns the house. This would be the job of the servant who is the lowest there. It was their duty as people came in to wash the feet. Jesus was teaching. And he goes on in that and he comes to Peter. And how does Peter respond? Uh Uh-uh, you're not going to wash my feet. You being the rabbi, the Messiah, you're not going to wash my feet. You remember what Jesus told him? He said, unless you let me wash your feet, you will have nothing to do with me. Whoa. This is an example of, of giving up what we want and listening and following what Jesus wants us to do. And sometimes that means even when it's uncomfortable and it doesn't seem right, I need to yield to what he's saying to me. Jesus was also showing that sometimes as leaders and as Christians... We need to be able to do the messy stuff to help others out. We need to be willing to whatever it is that we don't like to do if it will lead someone else to Christ. 
and show them how much he loves them. Peter's about to give the church some more instructions to live by. Instructions that tie this whole letter together. In verse 6 it says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So how do I do that? How do I humble myself? Sometimes I need to be reminded of my position. Earlier on in this series of messages, we talked about three different levels of commitment. One was essential. What is essential that we need to do? And the next one was, what is conviction, what's a conviction that I have? And the last one was, is it a preference in what I'm doing? That's one of those things when we began to talk about that in the elders meeting that morning. And we began to talk about what's important and why do we do what we do. The first one is essential and John talked about this. That's something that the scripture says we must do. And the second one is closely tied to that. But it's different. When I read the scripture, I have a conviction of this is what I need to do. But it might be just my conviction. And it's not essential. There is a difference. And sometimes that's pointed out to me. That's why I bring it up again. Sometimes I realize that the conviction that I have may not be the same conviction of someone else. And when I go to the word, I find out that Oh, that's just my conviction. That's not really essential. But I've made it essential. And it's not bad that I do that, but I don't need to push that on someone else. But what is bad is when my preference becomes something that I push on someone else. If it's something that I prefer, I like it done this way. And I think everybody else should do it my way. That's when I get humbled. That's when I find myself digging myself a hole. That's when I find myself in the bottom of the hole wondering, how did I get here? And God's watching. And he's waiting for me to quit digging. (laughs) He's waiting for me to turn to him and say, okay, Lord, I blew it. I'm going to humble myself before you, allow you to take control of my life. I'm going to try to quit doing it on my own, and I'm going to try to do it your way. And what does it say happens when we do that? He says, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Sometimes we don't want to wait and we try to do it on our own. And what God is waiting for us to do is to look to him. To seek his will. To quit struggling on our own. And then he answers, he goes right on from that. 
And Becky talked about this this morning and Cody talked about this this morning. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Oftentimes our preferences and sometimes maybe even our convictions will get us into a point where it turns into worry and we fret about it and we stew about it and we don't know what to do about it and we're so caught up in that that we can't see the beauty of what's going on around us. And God's waiting. He's waiting for us to run to him, as the song said. He's waiting for us to humble ourselves before him and run down that road back home to allow him to do his work in our lives. Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. And he says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Reminds me of a little song. Cast your burdens on Jesus for he cares for you. Pretty simple. That's it. That's the song over and over and over and over again. That's what he wants us to do is to give it to him so that he might do the work that needs to be done. The key is to let go and let God. He loves you and wants what's best for you. Peter continues with his instructions again to the church in verse 8. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. You're not alone in this. How do we stand firm? How do we watch out for the enemy, the devil? By learning what's right and what's true, and seeking it in his word. Becoming a part of what God has called us to do. Listening to him speak to us through his word. I pray that each of you has a routine of getting into God's word each day, whether it be in the morning or at night or at noon or whenever it works for you. I love the YouVersion app and the um, devotions that we have each week in there. And I love the comments of those that are commenting on those things. Because it helps me to stay in touch with what the rest of the body is doing here at Westway. But more than that, it's leading me to truth. There's a lot of evil in the world around us. In those days of Peter and those churches, they were under great persecution. And there was a lot of evil going on around them. It's really no different today. There's a lot of evil going on around us too in our world. And the one place that it really concerns me is, is we have a lot of children that are being brought up in this world without any teaching of the truth. 
And I, and I think about those children and I ask myself the question, how in the world will they know when it's truth and when it's not if they've not been exposed to the truth? How will they know when it's the evil one, when it's Satan that is tempting them to do the things that they're being tempted to do? And we're seeing the results of that in our society today. I don't know about you, but I want to take the opportunity that I have to lead my children and my grandchildren to the truth so that they might know what it means to humble themselves before God, that he might lift them up. Because without him, they're going to they're going to fail. Verse 10 says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. How do we have that firm foundation? Well, it's only through the rock, Christ Jesus. It's only his truth that we can stand on. And we need to be willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means suffering a little. We've been talking about that throughout this series. Even if it means suffering a little bit, we need to do whatever it takes to know Jesus and to lead others to his goodness. And that includes my kids and my grandkids and their friends. They need that firm foundation or when the evil one comes along and he's there in more ways than one, they will not stand because they don't know the truth. And so Paul gives all these instructions to the churches. And at that time, they needed to hear it because they were struggling with the temptations around them, the, the temptations that had been in the world for thousands of years before, just like they are today. And he asks us to pay attention. He asks us to be willing to do whatever it takes to stand firm against the devil. Even if it means giving our lives like Jesus. The last part of this chapter is the end of the book. Peter says, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose is right in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. That's the challenge. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Somebody asked earlier this week, who is this Mark? And it's believed that this Mark is John Mark, the young man that traveled with Peter. 
and ended up writing the book of Mark. And then he says, greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. So today it's what I want to encourage you to do is greet each other with a kiss. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you might get hit. <laughs> but what a blessing to come into this room and be greeted. Or to come into that doorway back there and be greeted. Maybe not with a quick kiss. Or with a handshake or a hug and a smile. I just want to thank you, Westway, for the way you welcome people. One of the things that most people say when they come for the first time is, is I felt so welcome. That's important. I pray that you continue to feel welcome here at Westway and that together we can follow his leading. We can follow the example of Christ. And so right now as we think about the example of Christ, I want you to get your elements out and we're going to move right into a time of communion. And as I think about the example that Jesus set for us and the example of humility that he sets for us. I think about the passage in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul was speaking in a letter to the church in Philippi about this Jesus that we've been talking about. And as we get ready to remember what Jesus has done for us, let's think about the humility that Jesus has shown us and the example that he set. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? These are all descriptions of humility, aren't they? He goes on and he says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of, of God 
the Father. What does it mean to declare that Jesus is Lord? It means that we follow him. That he's the one that makes the decisions in what we do. He gave us the example of humility. He went all the way to the cross. He wasn't guilty of the crimes they accused him of. He suffered for us. His body was broken. And as we take of the bread today, remember that sacrifice that Jesus made for you and how his body was broken. Let's partake. As I think about the blood that he shed for us, it was the beginning of a new covenant, a new agreement between God and us. And it was sealed with the blood of Christ. A commitment to make him Lord and to follow him and to accept the salvation that he gives to us. Salvation that could only come at a price. The price that Jesus paid for us. He redeemed us from the sins that we commit. And we need to accept that. And so as we partake of the cup, let's remember the sacrifice he made in my place, in your place. Let's partake. Let's pray. When we think about what it means to humble ourselves, Father, there's no better example than your son, Jesus. And Father, you lifted him up to a place of honor. You gave him the name above every other name. Father, he gave up the position that he had next to you in heaven to come down into this world to experience every temptation to experience the physical pain that we experience, to show us what it means to suffer even when it's not our fault, even when we're not guilty of the accusations that are being made. Father, this should give us courage to continue on as Christians. We know that around this world there are people giving their lives for you just like Jesus did. And someday maybe we'll be in that same position or our children will be or our grandchildren could be. Help us to lead them to you. Help us to share Christ with them that they might put their feet on the firm foundation 
of Jesus Christ. That they might have the hope of eternal life. That they would have the strength of the Holy Spirit living within them. So that they might resist the temptations of the evil one. Father, our desire is to follow you. Our desire is to be an example to those around us. Our desire is to encourage each other and to move forward until that day when the great shepherd returns to take us home to be with you. Thank you for, our, for your love for us. Help us to share that love with each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.